0: This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Have you ever been around a kid when they're in the asking why stage? You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's like, why are there only three bases in baseball? Or four, you know, three bases, home plate. Well, when Abner Doubleday decided he was going to invent the game of baseball, he just thought four was going to be the right number. Why? <laughs> why is the color of our house white on the outside? Well, your mom really likes the color white on the outside of the house. Why? Well, she just thought neon green might not be as beautiful as the white. Why? Have you ever babysat a kid in that stage? Maybe you're raising a kid. Maybe your grandkids are in that stage of asking why. You know, a good counselor, it's funny because when kids ask why on repeat, it kind of gets annoying, right? Um, But really, we we don't understand their brilliance in that moment because a good counselor, when you go see a good counselor, the good counselor is going to ask you the question why often in different ways. In other words, a a counselor might ask you about why you're doing, you know, A, and then you give an answer, and then they'll find a creative way to ask why you're doing that and you'll give an answer, but they're, they're too wise to know that your answer as to why you're doing that is the actual answer. So then they'll ask another question why that'll, you know, so it's like peeling the layers back to get to the root. Because if you can't get to the root of why something is going on, why you're feeling a certain way or why you're doing a certain thing, then you can't really see life change happen, right? You have to get to the root of it. So a good counselor is going to ask why in various different ways to help peel the layers of the onion back to get down to the root. And who knew our three-year-olds were so smart in asking why? And... Why? And why? Simon Sinek wrote uh, the really popular book today, Start With Why. And basically he said the most important thing that you ask when you're starting an organization or when you're leading a business or, you know, when you're leading your family is you start with the question of why? What's your chief motivation? Why are you in this? Why are you doing this? What's driving you? What's compelling you? And this morning as we look in Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we are in a study. If you're just jumping in with us this morning, we're still in chapter 1. We believe the Bible... It's God's revelation of Himself to us. We believe God's revealed Himself to us clearly. And we believe that we can know who God is and what He's like and what He wants and what He's passionate about by reading the Bible. And we're reading the book of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to Christians and churches in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And we're going to get to the question of why, why he was asking, why he was praying some things, and I want you to see it in Ephesians chapter 1, picking up in verse 15. So if you found your way there, just hold your Bible up, hold your phone up, let me know you're tracking, all right, all right, find your way there, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, look at it with me. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now we're just going to pause there. We're just going to unpack those two verses, but let's read it again and then ask for the Lord's help together. Verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray this morning that through Your Word You would encourage those that are discouraged. Father, we pray in these minutes together that for those that are depressed, You would give them hope. Lord, we pray that for those that have a foothold of sin in their life, that You would convict them this morning and set them free to walk in loving obedience to You. We pray for those that are hungering to know You more, that You will fill them and reveal Yourself to them. Speak to us now. Through your scriptures, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So three questions I want to ask out of these couple of verses. And the first is, what is faith in Jesus? What is love for all the saints? Those are the two things that Paul was saying, I'm thanking God for because of your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. And then, and then a third question, why does Paul give God thanks For the Ephesians' faith and love. Why does he thank God for their faith and their love? So those are the three questions we want to ask this morning. The first one is, what is faith in Jesus? Like, this is bedrock. This is core to Christianity, is faith in Jesus. Well, what is faith in Jesus? Well, simply put, it's relying upon and trusting in the person and the work of Jesus. It's relying on, relying upon and trusting in the person and work of Jesus. So all of us, would kind of go on our journey, and we come to those benchmark moments in our journey. Some of us, we come to those places where we, we know we need purpose, and we haven't taken hold of purpose on our own. Some of us come to those places where we, we long for fulfillment, and we haven't found fulfillment on our own. And then others of us come to that place in our journey where we realize... I actually need more than purpose and I need more than fulfillment. I actually need the forgiveness of my sins because I've sinned against God and that's really my biggest problem. Well, everybody tries to answer those questions of the soul in different ways. I need fulfillment and they look for fulfillment in all these different places. I need purpose and I look to take hold of purpose in all these other things. I need forgiveness and then some folks put that burden on their own shoulders to say somehow my good deeds might outweigh my bad. Somehow I'm going to impress God with all my my generous deeds in life. And essentially what it boils down to is is we try to save ourselves. We try to save ourselves. So what does faith in Jesus mean? Well, it means we come to those places in our life where we need longing and fulfillment, we need purpose, and we need forgiveness, and we choose not to trust in ourselves any longer. And we see that God's made a provision to fulfill us, to give us purpose and to forgive us and it's Jesus. God in His love sent Jesus as the rescuer to die in our place, to bear our sins on the cross, to be buried, to rise from the dead, to give us eternal purpose in His kingdom. This is the good news of the gospel. So the good news this morning is you may have come in feeling like, man, I've got to find purpose. I've got to find significance. I've got to find fulfillment. And you can let purpose and significance and fulfillment find you today but by letting Jesus come into your life maybe you've been dialed into that reality of "I, I have a guilty conscience and I've got to find relief for that and you can find relief for that today not by doing more good deeds but by by letting Jesus save you by turning to him and trusting in him so let's get this straight and understanding We're all trusting in someone or something to give us fulfillment, to give us purpose, and to give us a sense that we're right with God. And so Paul is thanking God that the Ephesians have put their faith in Jesus. They've relied upon him. They've trusted in him. They said, we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus to save us. Um, Have you ever done like a ropes course? Have you ever done one of those really tall ropes course? Two years ago, kind of in the middle of COVID, we went to visit some friends in Colorado We went to this ropes course, and I'm terrified of heights. (laughs) And I'm thankful that my kids didn't video me on this ropes course because I squealed like a girl at high-pitched often every time I stepped out on this thing. Um, But there was this one giant pole that had like a little flat thing up on top. We're going to see that in just a minute, but I want you to see this picture of me and my family. We're ready. Look at that. We got the gear on. We got the hard hats we got the harnesses. Now, those of you in the front row, you can probably read this sign. The top phrase says what? Leap, leap of faith. Well, the leap of faith was this tall pole with this flat thing on top. And you could climb up it and get on top and then jump off. And it was a leap of faith that the harness was going to catch you. Okay? Um, How many of you would be like me? No, thank you. And how many of you would be like, oh yeah, I live for those. Okay, all right, we're about you know, even to the, so we got a little video I'll show you here. Now, before before we pull that video up, I just want you to notice something here. I just want you to notice something. All of us are standing at the entrance of the ropes course. All of us have our hard hats on and are strapped into a harness. But not all of us took the leap of faith. Well, what, what do I mean by that? Well, it, it may be that you're here this morning and you're singing the songs. And it may be that you, you actually have a, a plaque on the wall in your home that has Bible verses on it. But, but you may not be trusting in Jesus. You may not have taken the leap of faith. Look, watch this video and enjoy this leap of faith. I got permission to share this video of my beloved... Now how many of you would, would, no thank you, no thank you, yeah me neither. And she's going to get to the top and I'm going to ask the guys to pause the video when she stands up on the top because I want us to understand this moment. Wow. okay let's pause it right there yeah it's wobbling can you see it wobbling (laughs) Um, there she is she got her hard hat on she climbed all the way up to the top she got the harness on but she's not yet taken that leap of faith and that's where some of you are. You're right here in church. Maybe, maybe you've been coming, but you've not yet trusted in Jesus. Paul was thanking God for the Ephesians' faith in Jesus. He was so fired up. He was so fired up he said, I'm not ceasing to give thanks. I love your faith. I love your faith. And the tragedy is that some of you could be all dressed up in Christian stuff and yet in that innermost part of who you are, you're not trusting in Jesus. You're still relying on yourself and not trusting in Him. So watch her watch take the leap of faith.: <laughs> Amazing.) <laughs> yeah! She, she, made, she made a judgment call that this harness, is, it's going to hold me up. It's going to hold me up. And, and the crazy thing is, check this out. The crazy thing is, this whole ropes course was built to do exactly what she just did. Like it was designed and engineered and built to do exactly what she, exactly what she did. And the day before we went there, hundreds of people did exactly what she just did. And the day after we left, hundreds of people came and did exactly what she just did, exactly what the ropes course was designed to do. And God sent Jesus with the specific design to rescue us out of our sin, and yet some of us are just standing on the platform, and we've not yet relied upon Him to save us. We've not yet taken the leap of faith. But can I just tell you, the leap is not that tall. It's not that tall. And it may feel a little scary to you, but as we sing those songs, we're singing those songs. Many people in this place, because they've, they've felt the saving harness of Jesus in their life over and over and over again. They trusted Him with their soul at salvation. They trusted Him with their kids as they parent. They trust Him with their finances and He's proved to be, to be faithful. The Lord Jesus has done exactly what the Father has asked Him to do as a sufficient and strong Savior. So I wonder who today... You just need to take a step of faith, a reasonable faith, that Jesus is going to do exactly what he's done for millions of people in the past and what he's going to do for millions of people in the future. He can do for you today. Many of us, we've, we've trusted in Jesus for salvation, but we're struggling to trust in Jesus for other areas in our life. Today, you can trust him. So what is faith in Jesus? It's relying upon him. What is love for all the saints? That's the second thing love for all the saints he's thanking God for their love now I want you to turn over I want to explain to you what love is a lot of us have heard a lot of definitions of love maybe we've taught definitions of love and I want you to turn over to first Corinthians 13 and I want to explain to you um, what love is now you're like oh yeah I know love is patient love is kind that's over in first Corinthians 13 but that's not where we're going and some of you are like, well, you know, I know there's agape love and phileo love and there's all these different kinds of Greek words that describe different kinds of aspects of love, but that's not where we're going either. I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians 13 as we seek to understand what is love? What, what is love? Because that word gets tossed around a lot and it's important that we understand what is love. Paul is thanking God for the Christian's love for all the saints. So... What's a saint? A saint is a holy one who's been made holy, declared to be holy by God when they trusted in Jesus. So saints are not the the folks that because they live these amazing lives that we ascribe to them sainthood and put their picture on a stained glass window like many of us grew up with, that kind of idea of what a saint is. A saint is what God calls those who trust in Jesus because they're covered by the righteousness of Jesus. That's their new identity, a saint. So some of you are like, I'm a sinner, and I'm just on this broken journey. And on one hand, that might be true. But can I just suggest to you, you start describing yourself as a saint who sometimes sins? Because that's your identity in Jesus. And, and Paul is so fired up that the churches in Ephesus had a love for all the saints. Well, what is love? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me, verse 1 through 3. It's a well-known passage, but I want to break it down for you and trust that you're going to see it with fresh eyes this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, say it with me, I am nothing. Nothing. Verse 3, here's here's where we're going to really learn what love is. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, pause. What is is he talking about? Well, Paul takes like the two most loving actions he could think of. The first one was, give away all I have. Man, that's crazy love right there, isn't it? You just take everything you have and you you give it all away to people in need. That's like superpower love. So so Paul reaches back and he grabs hold of the most loving action that he could imagine. And he says, if I give everything away. So he's thinking about love for people. And then he says, if I deliver up my body to be burned. What is he talking about? He's talking about being a martyr for Jesus. What's a martyr? A martyr is someone who gives their life in the mission for Jesus. So right now, today, in other countries, it's dangerous to share the gospel. It's dangerous to preach the gospel. And right now today, there's people on other parts of the world that are being killed right now because they're faithfully preaching the gospel. They're becoming a martyr for Jesus. And what Paul's describing here is that in his estimation, being a martyr for Jesus, delivering up your body to be burned, is like the most radically loving act you could do before God. I love God so much I'm going to go to the most dangerous place on the planet and preach the gospel and deliver up my body to be burned at the stake for Jesus. Crazy love, right? And there's people on the planet that are doing it today. Amazing. But what he says is, is if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love. Whoa, wait a second. What? Like, how can, how can you do that and not have love? <laughs> Well, that's why Paul's writing it this way. Paul wants us to understand that love, even though some of us have taught it this way, love is more than just commitment. It's more than just action. So, so some of you, have, you've explained it in that way of like, you know what, I wake up. You tell your kids, you know what, I wake up and I see your mom across the living room and I just don't feel like I love her that day. But you know what? I go on committing to her, you know, and, and because love is commitment. Have you ever, have you ever explained that? Or, may, or maybe you've taught this with God, you know. Sometimes we just don't feel like obeying God. And what do we say? We should obey God even when we don't feel like it. Well, I'm not going to argue with you in that, but I think that there's a better way. What do I think the better way is? Well, I think commitment absent of affection is incomplete love. And I think that's, the way Paul, that's why Paul says, if I, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burnt, and have not love, wait a second, that's the, like the greatest thing you could do to express love, unless it's not in your heart. Unless you're just doing it, and it's not flowing out of a place of affection. So this morning I want us to understand biblically that love is affection and action. In in its fullest sense, love is affection and action. So, So you may ask, well, pastor, are you saying like when I don't feel love for God, I should just stop obeying him? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is rather than just gritting your teeth and obeying God when your heart is absent of affection for God, that you should come broken before him. And you should just say and be honest with God, God, I'm so sorry that I don't have affection for you. I'm so sorry that my heart is cold. I'm so sorry that my heart is not overflowing in passion and love for you. And by his grace, in that moment, in his presence, remember that you're loved and hopefully repent of a cold heart. And in God's presence, as you confess your cold heart, perhaps by his grace, his spirit touches your heart and ignites a little affection that wasn't there before you confessed that sin. Do you see it, church? Do you see it? In in other words, let's not just rush into dutiful obedience in the name of love because love is commitment. Well, love is commitment, but it's not only commitment. It's it's affection and action, and that's why Paul said, "Look, you can give away everything you have, and you can deliver your body to be burned, and do it with no love in your in your heart." So it's it's both what you're feeling and doing. And so some of you are like, well, that feels really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we throw that word love around so easily, don't we? Um, Love is hard. And when God looked upon us and loved us, he both felt affection for us and made the most radical commitment for us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place. He did it with a heart that was overflowing in affection for you and me. And then he demonstrated that affection. So, so what's the right response? Because like this feels impossible, right? Like, oh my goodness, this just feels so hard. Yeah, listen. The goal of the Christian life is not for us to impress God, it's to be broken before him. So when you hear what you're hearing this morning, if you're like, I don't know if I can do that, say that to God. And just say, Lord, like my heart is so void of love. Like, I mean, like I've got a little bit of obedience and I've got like a minuscule affection today. Or maybe you found yourself in that place where you sing loud songs and you declare your love for God, but then you don't go out and match it with your life. It's hard. It's so, it's, it's so hard. Our, our walk doesn't match our talk, right? We say we love God, but we don't live like we love God, right? So we say we feel something for God, but then we don't follow through with commitment, right? So love is both. It's affection and action. And in many of our days, if not most of our days, we're going to so fall short in loving people and loving God. And that's why, let, church, listen, that's why all of life is repentance. All of life is, is coming into focus. Lord, where have we fallen short today? You will hold me fast. Lord, Lord, I don't love people like I ought. I don't love you like I ought. And we hear the voice of God, but I love you with my perfect, unfailing love. Steve and I were talking this week about worship songs. And I said, you know, so many of our worship songs um, talk about like our commitment to God. And I think that that's kind of silly because many days our commitment to God just feels so small. And so that last song we sang this morning was just really intentional for us as a church to be able to sing about God's commitment and love for us. He will hold me fast. Not boasting about our strong commitment to him, but reveling in his strong commitment to us. So what is love? It's affection and action. And Paul was so fired up that the Christians in Ephesus had love for the saints. So what did that mean? That, that means, listen, that means they were making great sacrifices for the Christians, and they were doing it because they felt something genuine for them. Affection and action. You see it, church? Right on. we got just a little more ways to go, so track with me. So what is faith in Jesus? It's reliance upon and trusting in the person in the work of Jesus. And what is love for all the saints? It's affection and action. So why, so why does Paul... Thank God for their faith. Why does Paul thank God for their love? It seems like Paul would thank them, right? It seems like Paul would be like, church in Ephesus, saints in Ephesus, you're amazing. Your faith is awesome. The way you love the church, way to go. But what does he do? He thanks God for it. Why? Because that's where it came from. Last week we talked about those big words. And I know it's like community groups were like second weekend and we're talking about predestination. That's crazy, right? You're like, I had some community group leaders coming up to me saying, thanks a lot for that one. You know, just throw us in the deep end, right? We just look, we just stick to the text. And if it's in there, we're going to talk about it, right? But, it, but here's, here's the reality. This is, this is what I've come to understand and believe. And I know we're all on a journey this morning. And maybe this will be helpful for you on your journey. But why does God, why does Paul thank God for their faith? Well, what I believe the Bible teaches is that we're all born slaves to sin. Paul uses that word that we're slaves to sin. We're enslaved to it. So um, we have free will and we do what we want to do. But because our will is in bondage to sin, we always and only sin. We have free will and we gladly do everything that we want to do. But, but our heart is in bondage to sin until God in his grace changes our heart. That's why Ezekiel said he'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Um, we, we describe this as the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You might, you might be familiar with like, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so as you tell the story about how you became a follower of Jesus, you'll often describe, well, when I was hearing the gospel preached or when my college roommate was telling me the gospel, God's spirit convicted me. So that was the work of the Spirit in your heart, setting you free from the bondage of sin on your will. So you had free will. We have free will. We freely do whatever we want to do, but it's it's enslaved to sin. So when anybody trusts in Jesus, it's because God has graciously set their will free from the bondage of sin and enabled them to trust in Jesus. So that's why Paul isn't like bragging on them saying, you're so awesome. He's bragging on God saying, God, you're so awesome because you're the one that convicted them of sin. You're the one that gave them a heart of faith. You're the one that did that sovereign work in their heart. Listen, friends, I would have never followed Jesus had it not been the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And you wouldn't have ever followed Jesus had it not been the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That's why we thank God. That's why we thank God. And that's why we pray for our lost friends. Some of you are like, I don't know if I understand this. Some of you are like, I don't know if I agree with this. But you pray for your lost friends. Why do you do that? It's because you believe that God's going to hear your prayer. And he's going to work in their heart. By his spirit. As a result of you praying for them. God, would you soften their heart? So if God is softening their heart. Glory to God. But if they're softening their own heart. Glory to who? Them. Glory to them. Church, do you see it? I hope you see it, just just a little little bit of a glimpse. This is why Paul, this is why Paul is thanking God for their faith. This is why Paul is thanking God for their love because he recognizes they have faith in their heart and they're living out a, a mighty love because of the work of God in and through their life. Do you see it, church? Do you see it? Um... In, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, Isaiah gives us this vision of God being the potter and we're being the clay. And then in Romans 9, Paul picks up on that image. So I love when God teaches us and speaks to us in visual images. I'm just visual. So imagine God being a potter and us being the clay, and he's molding us. Every day he's molding us. We're on the potter's wheel, and he's molding us. He's shaping us. It's not the other way around. God is not on our wheel And we're not molding him into our understanding of who he is. You see how backwards that is? We're not molding God into what we want him to be. No, it's the other way around. We're the clay, he's the potter, and he's molding us. So, last question that I want to come to this morning is just simply this. Um, what What do I thank God for in you? As I was reading this, I just couldn't help but to think about that. Paul was... Thanking God for their faith and their love. And, and I thought, well, what do I thank God for, for, for you, church? And we don't have enough time today for me to tell you all the things that I thank God for for you. It's just absolutely overwhelming seeing God at work in this church, in your life, in your heart. Just so beautiful. So, with real lifers, I was with real lifers this week at their home asking them about their neighbors and they started telling me about their neighbors and where their neighbors were with the Lord. It's like, yes, yes. One of of our values in real life is margin for mission. And it's because we have a dream that our church will know our neighbors' fears, hopes, and dreams. And and when I see people, they actually know their neighbors and where they are in their journey, I thank God. I thank God that he's stirring in their heart and moving in their heart. There's so many things. But I just want to boil it down to our strategy. What do I thank God for for you today? The first is gathering. You came this morning. You gathered. You didn't have to. You could be sleeping. You could be cooking. You could be hunting. You could be playing golf. You could be getting ready for the game. But you chose to come and gather. Aren't you glad you did? We've got 316 people in our church that have chosen to gather in community groups. This is our strategy, gathering, giving, serving, and living. And I thank God that 316 people chose to go into a home with strangers, probably the most uncomfortable thing they're going to do all year for some of us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Way to go, church, and thank you, God. Gathering and giving, giving today, because God has moved in our hearts toward generosity, we've got $890,000 in the account for the future building. Blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. We're going to be rolling out plans and sharing all kinds of things with you guys in the future, but right now in this moment, I'm thankful to God that He's moved through your generosity. Four years in, we've got land and we've got $890,000 in the account for the future building. So way to go church and thank you God for moving in our hearts toward generosity. Gathering, giving, serving. One of my favorite things to do is is have friends come and worship with us at Real Life and hang out after the 10 o'clock service and sit in the bowling alley lounge and just watch this thing get torn down and they just comment, and they're like, you've got an army of joyous volunteers, and I'm like, it's amazing, isn't it? How did that happen? Him, him. He moved in our hearts to want to roll up our sleeves, and stack chairs, and show up earlier, or, or stay late, and tear it down, and sweep the floor. That's, that's, God did that in our hearts. God gave us a desire. God showed us how much he served us by sending his son. And it gave us a de- desire to serve his church. Gathering, giving, serving, and living. And I just want to say thank you, church. And thank you, God, for moving in our hearts. Gathering, giving, serving, and living. You know, we're the church gathered this morning for about an hour and a half. But we're the church scattered all week long. Monday through Saturday. Saturday. And so our strategy isn't just about what we do here. It's about what we do out there. And so when I hear about those stories of folks getting to know their neighbors or investing in the Little League or working in the community and shining His light, I thank God. I thank God for how you are shining His light in the community. So church, way to go. And God, thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. Amen, church. Amen. I wonder. I wonder what you're thankful for. Maybe there's somebody in real life this morning. You just need to go up to him and say, "I'm thankful to God for you because of how you've worked in my life. He's worked in my life because what you've been in my life." I thank God because of what you've done in my life. Would you do that today? If the, if the Lord brings somebody to your heart and mind this morning, would you just go up to them and say, you don't know it, or maybe you do know it, but I, I thank God for you because of how you've blessed me. Your faith, or your courage, or your enthusiasm, or your prayers for me, or your faithfulness to my friendship. Whatever it is, just tell them that you're thanking God for them today. Amen, church? Let's stand to our feet. Let me pray. We'll sing out. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Lord, this morning we pray you do it again. You do it again tomorrow. You do it again next Sunday. You do it again next year. Father, we pray for a legacy of generations of kids and grandkids and great grandkids that follow you in the days and years to come in our community. And so, Lord, as we sing Do It Again, Lord, we pray with a mind toward the next generation that you're going to do a mighty thing because of. Your work in our heart, gathering, giving, serving, and living. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.